Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. I think this is just a big old tease for the concert tonight. They got all these instruments up here, but we're not going to use them. It's like, if you want to hear those, you got to come tonight to our concert. But welcome to our Christmas candlelight Lord's Supper service. This is always one of my favorite services of the year. This brings me back to way back in the early days when we were just silly enough to do this in our pajamas. That's right. You're welcome. Things have gotten a little more formalized these days, but when we were just a few families, we were like, hey, it's Christmas, you know, everyone's in their pajamas, let's just do it in our pajamas. And the, the occasional guests would walk in and go, not coming back. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing in there, but we're not going to be a part of that. But uh, uh, So we're excited to have you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, meaning you are trusting solely in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your hope, your forgiveness of sins, then we invite you to participate in this Lord's Supper with us. If not, we hope you'll see this as a beautiful, uh, almost an object illustration of the meaning of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, As you came in, the candles were in the boxes, and if you haven't gotten one, uh, you can get that uh, now or later. We're gonna have a chance to stand up and you can grab it then, but we'll conclude our service with the Lord's Supper and the candlelight service. Uh, One more uh, word of instruction, the the Lord's Supper elements are self-contained, So uh, you'll be comfortable knowing that you can do that in a safe manner. Uh, But also, we'll we'll do it as family units, and I mean that as biological, spiritual, community families. In other words, I don't want anyone doing it alone. So when the time comes, we'll have places, several places, just go form a line in the aisles to the closest one near you. And if you're here with family, if your family's on the other side of the worship center and y'all want to gather together, this is casual. Y'all just say, hey, come, you don't have to scream it, but you can motion, you know, hey, come on, let's do this together. Uh, If you see anybody alone, grab them as a part of your community and just do it with them together at the tables. Uh, At the appropriate time, the elders will join me at the tables and they will lead you through uh, the partaking of the Lord's Supper. So with that, let's get started. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1, primarily one verse, Matthew 1, 1. It's the first verse of the New Testament, and it is a profound verse. It is profoundly important, and it's just a few simple words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Stop there. Those words are profound. They are earth shattering. They change everything. When the Old Testament closed, there was hundreds of years of silence from the Lord, waiting and longing for the Messiah. And then this little child is born in a little known town to a little known family and very humble beginnings. And these words rock the world. The son of David the son of Abraham. That's who this little child was. My prayer is that as we consider the lineage of Jesus, which is what this does, is traces the lineage of this little boy that was born. As we consider his lineage and his legacy, that you will be moved to worship this child this Christmas season. Father God, we praise you and thank you for the word that captures for us the lineage of Jesus, just exactly who is this little boy that was born on the day that we call Christmas, and that we would consider the lineage 
his identity, who this, who this child is, and his legacy, the inheritance that we receive by being a part of his legacy. Move us to worship, Lord, that this Christmas would not be about anything less than the great glorious truth of the lineage and the legacy of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. All right, so what is a lineage? As I wrote this, I thought, you know, what exactly is a lineage? A lineage is a record of ancestry. Anyone ever heard of a little website called Ancestry.com? Anyone? Yeah, it's everywhere. You didn't raise your hand, but I know you've heard of it. It is everywhere. It's all the rage. Apparently, you can send in a DNA sample to Ancestry.com. I'm not getting commission. I don't know if they're any good at what they're doing. I'm just telling you the concept. They uh, will trace your DNA and match it with other DNA matches that, or data that they have. And you can learn a lot about your origins, your ethnicity, your heritage, your family, and things you probably didn't want to know about your family. People that are discovering all around the world, people are discovering they have more family members that they didn't know about. And they're starting to contact each other. It's actually quite interesting. But you're learning a lot about your ancestry or your lineage But knowing someone's lineage can have a profound impact on how you respond to them. When a little boy that I certainly never heard of, a little boy named George was born, entire nations celebrated. I don't know about you, but when I was born, nations didn't celebrate. I think my parents did, but I don't know that anyone else really celebrated. It really wasn't a big deal, right? What's the difference? Why, why would nations celebrate when some little boy named George was born? But when I was born, nobody even stopped their normal, ordinary activity. The difference was the lineage. This little boy born July 22nd, 2013, was named George Alexander Luis. I guess it's pronounced Luis. It's, it seems like there's a lot of French names in this family. Doesn't sound like much a big deal unless you know his lineage. His dad's name was William. Another common name, no big deal. William Arthur Philip Louise. And anytime they start having four names, you know they're a big deal. There's like a lot of names in here. He was born, William was born June 21st, 1982. Now, so far I'm like, okay, I don't really see the big deal until you start keep going down the lineage. William's dad's name was a man named Charles. Anybody queuing in so far? Some of y'all are queuing in. My wife would certainly be queuing in because she's obsessed with all these things. Charles's mom's name, Char, wait, excuse me, William's dad's name was Charles, and his mom's name was Diana. Now I know you're queuing in. Charles' father's name was Philip. Now Philip's wife's name was what? Elizabeth. So y'all are tracking with me. Elizabeth was the Queen of England. So our little boy named George, born on July 22nd, 2013, is actually a member of the British royal family. Looks just like every other snotty-nosed little baby. But he has a lineage that can be tracked back that he is a member of the British royal family. He's third in the line of succession to the British throne due to his rank in the line of succession and subsequent expectation that he will one day become the British monarch. His birth was widely celebrated across the Commonwealth realms 
They celebrated because they knew he was going to be their king. The lineage changes everything. And so as the New Testament opens, and there's this birth of a little boy in a little town that nobody knows about or cares about, to a family that nobody really even makes much concern about, Matthew opens up his record of the whole New Testament after hundreds of years of silence, longing for the arrival of God's promised king. And he says, the book of the lineage or the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And here's his lineage. The son of David. The son of Abraham. So this lineage changes everything. It transforms this, this birth of this quiet little scene that we read about with, with stars and just silent night. And it, it rocks the world. And so I want to look at these two titles that are mentioned in his lineage. First, the son of David. Now, we know who David is. David is King David. We've been studying Samuel, which is why I chose this account of the birth of Christ, is that in First and Second Samuel, we've been recording, we've been seeing a record of the reign of King of Saul, the first king, and we're about to start next week in chapter 16 of Samuel with the record of King David. So to understand why this is so significant, we need to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel 7, we, this is known as the Davidic covenant. And this is why Christmas, kids, this is why Christmas is such a massive celebration and such a special deal. In chapter 7, verse 12, God comes to King David, who follows King Saul, He's the best king they ever had. He united the nations. He conquers the land. He, builds, he, he just does incredible things. And God says to him, as he's about to die, he says, when your days are fulfilled, David, and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will raise, this is God making a promise to David, I will raise up your royal offspring after you, your seed, your child, descendant after you, who shall come from your body, your descendants, I, God says, will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I, God says, I will establish the throne of this child's kingdom. How long? forever. I, God says, I will be to him a, a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is God speaking. God says this child will be the son to God, a son of God. He, when he commits or bears iniquity, that's what he does on the cross, when he bears iniquity, he, I, God says, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. This is exactly where we are in the text of Samuel. God says, you're done, Saul. Put it on David, and he says to David, you're going to have the son that's the, the anointed one, the Messiah, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David, your kingdom 
shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Forever, forever, and forever is repeated in this text. So what we see here is this Davidic covenant is God making a covenant promise to King David that his descendant, a son of David, will be born and he will be the eternal ruler, the son of God, the king of God's kingdom, and his kingdom will last forever and ever and ever. And so this is a big deal. This is much more than finding out that this little boy named George is British royalty. This is finding out this little boy that was born is is God's eternal royal king. And that's why it's such a big deal. That's why it's such a holy occasion. But we've got to keep going back as we trace this lineage. He's the son of David, but he also mentions that he's the son of who? Son of Abraham. Son of God and son of Abraham. So let's go back to the son of Abraham. This goes all the way back to Genesis. I told you, everything goes to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God made a covenant with Abraham in which God promised to restore all of God's blessings through this one. It's like this Genesis 1 through 12 is this intro to your whole Bible and the whole world, the universe of everything is being zeroed in on this one man, a son of Abraham. All of God's blessings that were in the picture of Genesis 1 and 2, the idyllic paradise scene where God's people are royal priests reigning and ruling over God's creation in perfect intimacy with God the creator, perfectly trusting him, obeying him, and enjoying him fully fulfilling their potential and being all that God created them to be. And then sin happened and unraveled that and thorns and thistles started to growing and frustration and pain and sorrow. And God says, I'm going to restore it all because I'm gracious and it's going to all come through this one, his son, the son of Abraham. All the peoples, Genesis 12, 3, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And so God in his grace promised to Abraham, made a covenant, I will restore the Abrahamic blessings, is what this is called. I will restore all those blessings that you see in Genesis 1 and 2 through this Abraham, the son of Abraham. And that became known as the Messiah, this anointed one who would be the son of Abraham, would be the son of David. He is anointed like a king, and the word Messiah in Hebrew means anointed, where the oil would be anointed over their heads and run down their beards, and it was anointing them as the ruler, the king. And the Greek word for the New Testament uses Greek. The Greek word for that same is Christ. And so we're looking as the Old Testament closes for a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed king who will be the son of Abraham. He'll be the son of King David. He'll restore all the blessings of paradise. God's perfect design will be restored through this one who will be born. He'll be the son of God. He'll be the Christ, the anointed one. And the Old Testament closes. And the Old Testament was written intentionally to lead us as readers to say, where is he? Where is this promised one? When will he arrive? And the opening words of Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham. And you keep reading down to verse 16 of Matthew 1. The son of Jacob, who's the father of Joseph. He traces through the lineage. The husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And so Matthew is announcing the lineage to say this is the long-awaited Savior, the Son of God. So now we need to consider his legacy. A legacy is an inheritance that is left to heirs, that you trace a lineage and you realize you're of royalty. You realize, I am the child of royalty. I am a descendant in a royal lineage. That's what George is going to figure out one day. Oh, by the way, well, he's figured it out by now. I think he's 12 years old or something. But, you know, one day, oh, we wanted to tell you something, by the way. You're going to be king one day. Well, the legacy that Jesus leaves is in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, as we see the birth narrative. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he, listen to this statement about this child, he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets in your Old Testament. Behold, here's what the prophet said, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. A virgin shall bear a son? And they shall call his name Emmanuel? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Just like in the garden, in paradise, when God was with his people, this child was prophesied to be the one who will bring God's presence with us again. And when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now that, my friends, is a legacy. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that family? I want to be a part of the family that it has the presence of God, that is of the royal, eternal, royal priesthood, to be, to be a part of that family. What a crazy gift that would be. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus' legacy is he is the very presence of God manifest for us on earth in flesh to restore all that was lost in the garden because of sin. That we could once again live eternally, have his presence with us perfectly, to reign and rule over his creation, his perfect, finally restored and recreated creation, 
to have no more sin, no more sorrow, to be the royal priesthood, not to be a kingdom with some priests, but to be a kingdom of priests, where we're all priests reigning and ruling over God's glorious creation with Jesus. He restores all things. That's who this Christ is. That's why we worship him today. So as we think about the Lord's Supper, it's the lineage of Jesus and the legacy of Jesus that I want to encourage you to be thinking about as we approach. Because this child rose, grew up, lived the perfect life, demonstrating he was sinless. He was the very God in flesh. And then he gave his life on the cross. And we're going to see the fruit of the vine represents his blood that was spilled on the cross to take the punishment for us that we deserve for our sins. And the bread represents his body that was pierced for our sins. And so when we come today and partake of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that it is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that, that makes us a part of his family, that we inherit that legacy, that we become a part once again of the royal priesthood that God chose to bless us with through Abraham and through David. So I invite you elders now to join me at the tables as we prepare the tables for the Lord's Supper. And I invite you at church family to just enter into a time of prayer and silent meditation with the Lord, asking the Lord to examine your heart for any areas of repentance that needs to take place as you prepare to approach the table. Lord, search our hearts now in this time of, of silence and meditation, Lord. Help us to be prepared not to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Lord, help us to remember your body in your blood, which was hung on the cross so that we might have forgiveness of sins and eternal life and be adopted into the family of God. Now, as you partake of the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you to just remember how this unifies and how this picture is unifying us as a body of Christ. There's only one cup which is poured out into many, and there's only one bread that is broken into many. And that demonstrates or is a picture of how each one of us individually, by faith, participates in the body, the one body and the one blood of Jesus Christ. So now I invite you to just begin coming and you can come to the table that's nearest to you and the elder will lead you through a time of participation in the Lord's Supper. So please come join us.